0: Last week we uh, saw in the beginning of the book of Jonah how the Lord spoke to Jonah, commanded him to go to Nineveh to proclaim judgment. And Jonah didn't like that command, didn't like that message from the Lord. And so he chose to flee. He goes the opposite direction towards Tarshish to escape the presence of the Lord. And what we see in the verses today that we're going to look at, verses 4 through 6 of chapter 1, You see that God doesn't just let Jonah go. He's not indifferent to Jonah's decision to flee. God has a plan. The Lord cares about the messenger and He cares about the message. Jonah's disobedience does not and will not determine God's work. His will be done. God's will will always be done. And so we come to verses 4 through 6 of Jonah chapter 1. Let's stand together as I read... Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus, even as we have sung about your grace that is found only in Christ. We praise you. We, we acknowledge that without your grace, we could not come and have a heart that would be receptive to your word. We couldn't come and, and hear uh, these wonderful words from your law, Lord. And so we praise you that you have opened our eyes in your grace. You have uh, poured your grace out on us that we might hear and understand and believe the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would incline our hearts to you, Lord, and to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see wonderful things, and that we would delight in your law. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, Jonah has attempted to escape, found a ship, is presently on that ship on his way to Tarshish, but the Lord is always before us. Think about the circumstances with Jonah as we've gotten to this point. Jonah hears the word of the Lord. Go. I want you to go to Nineveh and proclaim judgment. I know of their evil. And Jonah decides he doesn't like that message. And so he decides to flee from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to Joppa, this port city. And it says he searches among the ships to find a ship that's going Away from the Lord that's going to Tarshish to go the opposite direction of the Lord. And he looks for this ship, finds this ship and boards, pays the fare to get on this ship. Away from the Lord. Now, I don't want our Sunday school lessons to prohibit us here. From seeing the humanity and the reality of Jonah. Jonah is a real person. And these are real decisions that he's making He really went down and he really thought through God told me to do this and I'm going to find an escape. I'm going to find a way to go the opposite direction from God and flee from his presence. He's literally thinking through these things and making these decisions. Why? Because he purposed to flee from God. Why does he purpose to flee from God? Because he doesn't want God to save his enemies and he has a hunch that's what God intends to do. If he goes to Nineveh. And so he flees. But God is there. Psalm 139 verse 3 tells us that God searches out our paths and our lying down. He is acquainted with all our ways. And so even as Jonah attempts to flee from the presence of the Lord, God is there. And God's response is revealed to us. The beginning of his response is revealed to us in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. You wonder what that looks like. That word hurl there is the same word that's used in 1 Samuel 18 and 1 Samuel 20. Where Saul attempts to pin David to the wall when he hurls his javelin at David. The only difference is here. God is not going to miss his target. He hurls this wind onto the sea in response to Jonah's disobedience, in response to Jonah attempting to flee from his presence and and his rebellion against the command of the Lord. Here is the result of Jonah's rebellion. The storm, as we see, is affecting more than just Jonah. Jonah's disobedience is affecting other people, not just him. It's not that just Jonah is here and he has being, he's being chastised and he's, he alone is feeling the effects of his disobedience. His disobedience and the Lord's response to that is affecting other people. We know it's affecting the people on the ship that Jonah is on, but we, where did he just leave? He left Joppa. Where he's gone from ship to ship to ship to find out which one of these ships is going to Tarshish where I want to go. How many of those ships are now out on the sea being affected by this great tempest caused by this wind that the Lord has hurled onto the sea. The effects of Jonah's disobedience do not just encompass his little body. It's affecting others. Other people are affected by this. And we see the effects, how it affects those on the ship with Jonah. Jonah. It's a massive storm. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. It's a mighty tempest, it says. Waves crashing against the ship. Wind howling. The ship, it says, is literally beginning to break up. It's cracking, beginning to break up. This is a not a good situation. The waves must have been terrible, frightening. Imagine this, this ship just being tossed in the midst of the sea, struggling to to come up over the, the top of this massive wave and then descending as it peaks over, descending, plummeting down into the depths, only to do this again and again and again and again. It says that the, the storm is so great and terrible, that even the sailors were afraid. Men who knew the seas. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. These men who had probably faced many storms are afraid. They're terrified. I'll tell you, I don't like turbulence when I'm flying. I don't like it. You know what turbulence is? Everyone's like, turbulence, hmm, find that for us. You know what I'm talking about, right? The plane? Maybe you don't care about that. I tend to sometimes. The plane starts bouncing up and down. But here's the thing. If I'm ever on a plane, like last, last fall, I was uh, flying, and, and uh, it was, I mean, I didn't know there was turbulence like the turbulence on that flight. It was terrible, uh, and, 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 and just, it was terrible. God is sovereign. I love him for that. But if I'm ever on a plane... And I look up. And, you know, sometimes you have the pilots that get to fly in with the passengers. to get to just kind of hop to one city. If I ever see one of those pilots freaking out, crying, <laughs> clinging, you know, I know I'm in trouble, right? I mean, you look, the, you look at the stewardesses in the midst of, like, bad turbulence. You look at the stewardesses. They look irritated, right? They look bothered, but they're not afraid. They've been through this. They know this is just turbulence. We're going to get through this. It's just bouncy. The wings are made to sustain, sustain this kind of pressure and all this. They know we're getting through. If the, if the stewardess start freaking out, I probably I realize at that point, I'm in trouble. Well, here's these sailors who knew how to manage storms. They've been in many storms. And when this storm comes, they freak out. And they're crying out to their God because this is not just a natural disaster. This is supernatural. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and the sailors are freaking out. Now, this is what's wonderful in the midst of this. The reason that Jonah is fleeing is because he knows that God is gracious And merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. We know that from chapter 4, verse 2. When he prays to the Lord, he says, "That's that's why I fled. That's why I left. That's why I went to Tarshish, because I knew, I knew that you are gracious. You are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. This is the wonderful truth in the midst of this storm does not disqualify the Lord from that truth. I love in Job chapter 37, speaking of uh, storms and God's power and purpose in the midst of these great storms. And it says, starting in verse 11, he, the Lord, loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance. What is he talking about there? Tornadoes to accomplish All that He commands them on the face of the habitable world. Listen to verse 13. Whether for correction or for His land or for love, He causes it to happen. This storm does not disqualify God from His mercy. God has holy and sovereign purposes for all that He does. And this storm is His doing. The sailors are terrified. They each begin to cry out, it says, to their God. They're just doing the best that they know how to do. We need to remember that. These sailors are just doing the best that they know how to do. They're responding the best they know how. They're just crying out to gods who cannot hear them. Gods who will not respond to them. They're hurling cargo from the ship in hopes that a lighter ship will manage the waves better. But there's only one hope. There's only one hope. There's only one person on the ship that knows that hope. So what I ask at this point, where's Jonah? verse 5 tells us, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now how does our heart respond to that and how should it respond to that? Jonah. Come on, you know better. You know better than that. We ought to be disgusted by Jonah's response. You see this downward spiral with Jonah from the beginning, just through these first five verses. Jonah went down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. He lays down and is now asleep. There's this picture of this downward spiral that's happening with Jonah. This is, there's nothing good about where Jonah is at right now. About his sleep. Jonah doesn't care. He doesn't care whether they perish. His desire is that Nineveh perishes without the Lord. Understand what's happening here, right? The Lord says, go to Nineveh and preach against Nineveh. And Jonah has this hunch. I know you're a God merciful, compassionate slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from evil. I know know what's going on. If I go there, God's going to relent from disaster. He's going to show his mercy and he's going to forgive them. I will not have a part of that. I would rather they perish without the Lord. I'd rather Nineveh go to hell. I will go the other way. And now here on this ship, he falls asleep. Not caring if the sailors die. He's sleeping. You would think that he would have trembled even in his sleep. That he might toss and turn. Or that that he would have just been restless. So restless. And knowing that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Disobeying what God had called him to do. That he wouldn't be able to go to sleep. That's not what it says. He lays down and he sleeps. Evidences of his disobedience all around the ship. And he's asleep. We know in next week's text, Jonah knows the Lord. He's aware of God's power. He proclaims to the sailors, as we see in next week's passage, I fear Yahweh. I fear the Lord. And he sleeps. Look at verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It takes an unbeliever to urge him to pray. Even the idol worshipers on the ship knew that he shouldn't be asleep in the midst of this disaster. You look at the captain's words. If nothing else, this should have been ironic enough to Jonah that it would stir him to do something. Arise, call out to your God. The same word that the Lord uses to begin his command, this captain says to Jonah. The book begins... With God's word, arise, go to Nineveh. Now Jonah disobeys and an idol worshiper is calling to him, arise, call out to your God. You I mean, Imagine the, just the chaos in the midst of this. It's, it's easy that we can just read with the absence of the chaos... In the absence of what's happening because of Jonah's rebellion with the sounds of the wind and the sounds of the storm and the sounds of the panicked sailors screaming out to their gods and hurling things off of the ship for the sake of, of being delivered from what's happening to them. And this captain bursts in. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Arise and call to your God. See, the sailors know there's a foreigner on the ship and he's not with us for some reason. What's he doing? Why isn't he calling out to his God? So this captain bursts in. He doesn't know who Jonah's God is. He's just hopeful. Maybe Jonah worships a God who, who has some kind of, of influence on the sea or some kind of influence on the storm. And, and if Jonah calls out to his God, maybe that God will be appeased and, and maybe do something to calm these waters a bit so that we can get through this storm. So he says to Jonah, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so Jonah is forced from his wicked slumber. I want us to think about the circumstances that we're seeing with Jonah here. We ought to be disgusted by Jonah's sleeping. I, I want to respond to God's call on my life. I want to respond to the commission that God has given to me in my life. I want to respond rightly to that. As followers of Jesus, we ought to want to respond to what the Lord has called us to do. And we see this man who is clearly aware of God's call and commission on his life. And he's clearly aware of the the ramifications of his disobedience. And he falls asleep. We ought to be disgusted by that. We ought to care about what's happening here. Jonah leaves the place up on the the deck of the ship that's going to be a reminder of the circumstances that his disobedience has brought. he, He burrows into this bed, falls asleep. I think the church in many ways has done that and is doing that in different ways. And we talked last week about how we also, with Jonah, have been called to go and take the gospel to those who have not heard. Go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. We've been commissioned to go and to tell people the gospel. To tell people that there is hope that we know this hope you think of this ship and 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 the devastation that's taking place and the idolatry that's taking place on this ship there's one person there's one person who knows the answer who has the hope that the entire ship needs and he's asleep and I, I think that that's symbolic of much of the church today the chaos around us because of disobedience to God and because of idolatry, and the church sleeps. 1 Peter 2 9 reminds us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We're saved, in other words so that we might proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been saved so that we might proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so many who have that hope, much like Jonah, have gone into the inner parts of their homes, inner parts of our families, our careers, our kingdoms, and have fallen asleep. The implications of our disobedience are all around us, and yet we sleep. We see injustice, and we sleep. What's the hope? What's the hope for this world? What's the hope for the injustices that we see? And people around us, idolaters, doing just what they know to do doing the best that they know how, calling out to their gods, crying out to their gods. Are we willing to go to them and tell them the hope we have in Christ, that Christ came to set captives free? You know, today is is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I want to say to you, I believe that the greatest injustice on this planet is that Jesus is not worshiped. Okay? The greatest injustice on the planet is that Jesus is not worshipped. He is absolutely worthy of all worship from every created being, period. That is the greatest injustice, injustice that everyone does not worship Jesus Christ. And I believe that the injustice of abortion, which is a great Injustice and a great horror is the result of Jesus not being worshipped. You think of the circumstances in our passage today and how they relate. As we think of this sanctity of life Sunday. There are people just like on the ship, you have idolaters, idol worshipers who who are doing what they think is best and and worshiping their God and throwing off this weight in hopes that it's going to bring satisfaction It's no different than the storm that we're in. There are people just like these sailors who are idolaters And they think that the answer is to hurl away the weight, just to throw it away. They become pregnant. Their girlfriend becomes pregnant. Their wife becomes pregnant. What's the answer? Let's let's just throw the weight off. That will bring satisfaction. But the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to those things. Abortion happens because the worship of Jesus does not happen. And those of us who know the answer should not have our heads in the sand. Should not be hiding in the inner parts of our lives pretending that this injustice is not happening. Here are some reasons I think that's true. Reasons I think it should matter to us. We talked over the last couple of weeks about how we are called to be holy as God is holy. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart As God is set apart and holy. Be holy, the Lord says, as I am holy. That makes a difference in how I live. It makes a difference in how I respond to injustice. God is holy in how he cares for injustices. God is not indifferent to injustice. God is set apart in his justice. Abortion is absolutely a gospel issue. Psalm 78 verses 4 through 7 tells us that the Lord's desire is that the next generation would know His greatness, but how will they know? How many of the next generation will not even take their first breath? And the reason is, the reason that they will be aborted is because of idolatry. Other gods will be worshipped. The God of self will be worshipped. We, as those who know what is the hope for mankind ought to take the gospel for the sake of the preborn? We talked a few weeks ago another reason why we, it ought to matter to us. We talked a, a few weeks ago about us being the temple of God. We talked about how where the presence of God is, it is holy. That, that when God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, he tells him to take his shoes off because the ground that he's standing on is holy ground. And the reason that ground was holy was because God's presence was there. Psalm 139 tells us that God is present, working, knitting someone together in his own image in the womb. Every single pre-born baby, no matter the size or how many hours or days or weeks or months, it has been alive is a work of the holy God, and we ought to care. We should care about that work, and we ought to care about His care for the child. is a holy thing. I know. I know. Um, you may ask, well, "What about God's sovereignty? God is sovereign, and and you know, I, I I preach and 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 I rejoice in the sovereignty of God. How does that affect this? Isn't God? Sovereign over this and over all things. Yes, I, I, I give a joyful and and resounding yes to that. I believe in God's sovereignty. I believe in God's sovereignty over Nineveh. But what did that look like? God's sovereignty did not mean that Jonah was not held responsible for his disobedience and for going to sleep. God's sovereignty saves Nineveh, as we see in chapter 4. And in that sovereignty, God sends Jonah. And when Jonah disobeys, God sovereignly sends a great storm, and then he sends a great whale, and then he sends a plant and a worm. God's sovereignty doesn't dismiss our responsibility one of the greatest evidences of idolatry in our land is the killing of preborn humans. God's sovereignty gives us hope that just as wicked Nineveh was sovereignly spared by the preaching of a disobedient servant, so God can use us in proclaiming Jesus to the wickedness that's among us. We ought to examine our hearts in that. In regards to Jonah, the Lord cares about the preborn babies. Do I, or am I like Jonah, indifferent? And I truly ask myself that. There's a, there's a difference in me looking at statistics and, 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 and being enraged in my heart over the travesties, the horrors of injustice on the planet. There's a difference in me being enraged and me doing something and taking the gospel. There's a difference in me posting a a post on Facebook and taking the gospel to those who are idolaters, those who don't know Jesus. Look at Ephesians 5.14. You see Paul's encouragement to those in Ephesus, starting with uh, verse 11, actually, where it says, "...take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The message in Ephesians is what Jonah needed to hear, and it's what many of us need to hear. Just like on the ship, we face storms with our neighbors. The sailors were in the storm just as Jonah was in the midst of the storm. We face trials, we face difficult circumstances, we're surprised by things in life. We face job loss, we have work-related issues. Our neighbors want to be good parents, they want to be successful. But it's urgent that we respond to the storms differently Then the world responds to storms, that we respond rightly, not sleeping, but with the hope of the gospel. Which should look different than the response and than their response and hopefully display Christ in a way that leads them to glorify God. Let your light shine before men, Jesus says, that they will see your good works and glorify your father that's in heaven. Do we believe that the hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, we don't follow Jonah. We follow Jesus. Jesus is our hope. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to compare this story of Jonah. We're going to continue to compare and contrast Jonah to Jesus because Jesus is greater than Jonah. That's what he says to the Pharisees in Luke eleven thirty two. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here, Jesus. You see, Jesus slept on a boat just like Jonah did in the midst of a bad storm. But he didn't sleep out of indifference. He slept trusting his father. He slept exhausted from doing the ministry that his father had sent him to do. Jonah slept to avoid the ministry, not trusting his father, trying to be away from the presence of his father. Not just that, but the reason for Jesus' coming. The entirety of his life was to go face first into the ultimate storm of God's wrath on our behalf. Jesus faced the storm for us. And our neighbors, our families, the nations need to know that. Jesus faced the storm for us. We could not live a righteous life. He lived it for us. We could not bear the wrath of God. He bore it for us. Our neighbors, the world needs to know that throwing off a pregnancy or a job or anything else is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. You look at verse 6 again. The captain comes and, and stirs him from his sleep. What do you mean you sleep or arise? Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is This is wonderful. Because John 3.16 tells us this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What is the answer for those idolaters who are saying like the captain, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not per- perish. Perhaps, perhaps this will satisfy Perhaps this job, perhaps this abortion, perhaps this divorce, perhaps this drug will satisfy. What do we say to those people? The hope is this, the one and only God did give thought to us so that we may not perish. He is the hope that every idolater longs for and needs. Let me say this. In, in a group like this, in some way, one or more of us have been affected by abortion. I want to tell you, if you've been affected in any way, the hope is Jesus. God is a merciful God, just as Jonah proclaims. Even in his disobedience, God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And he sent his son, Jesus, to face the storm for us so that if anyone believes in him, they will be forgiven and they'll have eternal life. The one and only God did give thought to us so that we may not perish. The evidence of people fleeing from the presence of the Lord is as great around us as the monstrous waves that threaten to destroy Jonah's ship. But will we sleep? Or will we like Jonah willingly or unlike Jonah willingly and joyfully bring the hope of the gospel? Loving those around us, pointing them to the calmer of storms and to the savior of the perishing. We pray, Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus. For every idolater, for everyone who worships self, who worships any other God, just as these sailors were crying out to lifeless gods. The hope, the hope was you. Lord, I pray for each one of us, God, that you would help us, that you would reveal in us disobedience that you would reveal in us hatred God that you would help us that you would convict us that you would bring repentance to those of us who who have gone into the deep parts of our life and fallen asleep we have we have boasted in the grace of God we have we have said we we love you and we believe in you but we have gone to sleep and we've not obeyed you We have avoided the uncomfortableness of taking the gospel to those who are dead just like we were. I pray, God, that you would help and that you would awaken us, Lord, that that your glory would shine in our hearts and the gospel would be on our lips, that you would use us to proclaim the hope that is Jesus, that you would awaken us to your greatness and the joy that it is, to walk in obedience to you, Lord. And I pray, I pray that your grace would meet us in this place. No matter where we're coming from, Lord, you know hearts, there may be someone here who has been affected deeply by abortion, Lord. I pray that they would know the hope and the forgiveness and the love that is found in Christ. I pray for those of us who who have been careless and indifferent to injustices, knowing that You are not indifferent, Lord. Jesus, You came to bring Your kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.